1: Pass the mic.
2: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother?
1: Man, always on the hustle, always on the grind. Uh, just got back from a fun trip with you and, yeah. uh, folks will hear about that on the next podcast, but, uh, on yeah, the man, next. It's going good
2: Pass the mic,
1: Pass the mic.
2: Yeah. Can't Dude. wait to share that one. People are going to freak out about hey, that. One. To
1: flip. I love it. I can't wait for y'all to hear it and then let us know what you think and see what else happens after that.
2: Yeah, man. I you know, I gotta work in best selling author somewhere into that, you know. I gotta speak by faith that you are you gonna be Amazon best selling out <laughs> so here. Silly. Maybe New York Times, you know. Man. So we gotta we gotta work it in there. Man, the myth, the legend, the author, the writer, the, I don't know. I the, will the say the editor of scrolls. I
1: don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> so they have this book launch team and shout out to all the folks listening who are on the book launch team. Y'all are awesome. I love our little community that is already starting to form. But these amazing people have signed up to help promote the book and as a result they got an advanced reader copy. And so it has been absolutely mind blowing to see folks with physical copies of the book in places literally from coast to coast, all across the country. They're just taking pictures of themselves and in, in their offices or 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 on the couch or wherever, just reading and I'm like, wow, this thing is real. So it's been an amazing journey. We still are a couple months out from the official release date, but I'm loving the fact that that now over hundred people have gotten a chance to to read the book and access it and start to think about it. So I'm eager, eager for the rest of the world to see it.
2: Yeah, I'm just glad because I'm tired of this brother texting me, asking, is the book good? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's do you think it's dope? I keep telling bro wow, this, this book dope. Like, come on, man. You already know. Like, <laughs> man, we gotta look, I just I can't with that, man. Come on, man. You already know it's best selling. You already a doctor in my mind. You a historian. Come on, man. Like, I'm just glad other people can experience what the few of us have already been able to.
1: Well, I'll just suit you over to thecolorofcompromise.com, thecolorofcompromise.com if you want to learn more. But I appreciate the shout out every every episode, brother. Yeah, but uh, you, know
2: what I, you know what I told you? Every single episode, we talk about The Color of Compromise. I don't care what anybody says. It's our show. So we're going to talk about it. Y'all going to hear about this book for at least one minute and 25 seconds. Every <laughs> single episode, you're going to hear about this book.
1: What is something else? So, you, man. You promised that we're going to talk about every single episode, too, just at least for 10 seconds.
2: Of course. We got to talk about joy and justice. So, yes. the national conference for the witness, we've been deep in planning. I can't wait to share the details with you guys. We're coming up with some incredible ideas, and the team is on fire. I'm on fire. Jamar's on fire. And, man, we can't wait to share speakers with you, all kinds of things. Just keep it locked here and also to the witnessBCC.com for more information, because that's going to be coming very quickly, especially around the holiday time. Yeah. So, man, recently had the opportunity to do something I talked about in brief on the podcast, but hadn't had the chance to really go into, bruh, South Africa, man.
1: Bruh, you went to the motherland. Listen, okay, let me just set the stage for (sighs) the people, right? Like, I know a lot of listeners probably love traveling both domestically and internationally, if you've had the chance, whether through you know vacation or, or missions trips or something. It's an amazing world that God has built, and it's so enriching to get out of our own little bubbles, our own little silos, and see other people who look different, who who have different food, who speak different languages. But there's something in particular, something very special about the continent of Africa, for people of african descent particularly in america i mean folks sometimes don't realize like that whole side of our heritage was stolen from us and except for a very select few you know we can't trace our lineage back more than a few generations and certainly not back to mm-hmm. the particular countries or tribes or communities in africa where our ancestors came from and so i think within the black community there's always this sort of almost a um a mythical idea of a pilgrimage back to we call it the motherland right the the land that that mm-hmm. birthed us um and K-Town is
2: called the mother city. So I Look mean, at that.
1: The mother city of the motherland. So I'm just sitting here jealous. I have gotten to go to Africa. I've been to North Africa and Egypt, but I haven't been to sub-Saharan Africa at all. And I haven't spent much time there like you did. So I am eager slash jealous <laughs> to hear about your trip to South Africa, man. What? Why did you go in and, the first place? Uh, what brought you there?
2: Okay. So I got to listen. I got to say this before I get into that. One of the things, the reason I'm super excited about um, the ability to travel in this way is because, let's just be real, this is, I'm going to let y'all in on this insider if you don't know, Southern black men don't travel. Look, I'm just going gonna, gonna to throw it out uh, there. <laughs> we don't travel, bruh. Like, our wives be us. traveling, trouble. our <laughs> sisters be traveling. We just don't travel, man. And look, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't say that as, as a knock or as a shot, but I think sometimes we just don't think it's possible. And so I'm encouraging my brothers, I'm encouraging Christian men, especially Black Christian men, get out there, travel, because it's very easy. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. It's very easy to westernize our view of the world and to think in kind of higher and lower class um, thoughts about our brothers and sisters overseas. So I think it's really important. So for me, man, I just got my passport. So we had this whole saga about my passport. And I was sitting back and I was thinking, like, man, why have I not thought about getting passports? Because man, I just never thought I was gonna be able to travel internationally. Or I thought that was something I'd do when I was older and retired, man. So number one, I think, you know, black Christian man, we gotta we gotta travel, brother. Like we gotta get out of the country and we gotta experience more than just our region, our locale, and our places of comfort. So that's just a true, side note. True, that's true. for free, man. I think that's really important. But so I had the opportunity. Um, recently, uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago, to be a part of an organization that a lot of you would would have heard of um, in the states, and it's called the Justice Conference. And the Justice Conference is set up to promote social justice across nine sectors of justice, nine sectors and areas of influence. And um, is designed to equip churches, church leaders, and also um, Christians—just everyday Christians—to uh, live a a just and holy life in the world and to be witnesses. Um, and so, it's really interesting to me that you know everyone is kind of moving into these justice conversations. And I think you know Jamar and I would would be able to say that, man, we we can't run from the matters of justice. But as we talk and press into it what we've seen is that there's a broader community even within the state. So there's a lot of people who we didn't know about. There's a lot of people we weren't familiar with who are doing this work. And so got hooked up with the Justice Conference and the president of the Justice Conference in the US, uh, Mark and Vicky Reddy, uh, who are incredible people. I can't say enough about Mark and Vicky Reddy. Um, man, we got to have them on the podcast. We got to talk to them, but they are phenomenal human beings. And so They started this conversation with me earlier this year, and they were like, man, do you want to go to South Africa? Because the Justice Conference has uh, uh, autonomous conferences, autonomous yet connected conferences in each of the continents, except for uh, Antarctica. So they have them in Sao Paulo and London and obviously Cape Town and then Melbourne Mm. and uh, Norway and some other places. And so uh, Hong Kong as well. So in all the six continents, except for Antarctica and so they were like, "Yo, do you want to go to Cape Town?" And you know, sometimes people ask you questions, and I'm like, "Are you speaking hypothetically? Like, is <laughs> yeah. this a joke, <laughs> or are you are you for real? Like, are you for real or not? Like, is this a is this a thing?" Like so a truth when or they dare. asked me, I was like, "Ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, is are you serious, or is this a game?" To you know. And so I was like, "Man, yeah, like of course. Like, let's go to South Africa." And then you know, I actually got back from I forget where I was because we've been traveling so much. But I got back from a trip and I was sitting in the airport and they were like, yo, Want to go ahead and book this South Africa trip. I'm like, yo, y'all were serious though. And they were like, yeah, do you have your passport? I'm like, it's on the way, but I didn't know like it was going to be this quick. They were like, we told you today. So I'm like, yeah, but I didn't know. I will you know, so I was just going like, back and just forth, not wigging something out. You could just airport. say,
1: you know, yeah.
2: I know. Like, like it's just not something you that you can sit about.
1: down with somebody and look them in the eyes and tell them this is for real. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> exactly. And so they had done it so casually because they're world travelers. And so I was like, all right, cool. So anyway, so went with the Justice Conference and was just going to observe, just going to represent the U.S. chapter of the Justice Conference. And then later on in that text thread, they were like, do you want to speak? And I was like, speak to who and when and where and what am I going to talk about? And they're like, no, nah, speak to preach at the Justice Conference. And so I'm like, uh, sure. Um, yes. No, I don't know. Like, what am I <laughs> supposed to say to this? Um, and so I had the opportunity to talk about just the, the state of justice in the United States and what I called in front of them and what I'll say to you guys is um, the the not yet United States of America. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I talked with them about that for, you know, about 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes at the justice conference. And with about a thousand people who were just passionate and committed, a diverse group. And, you know, South Africa has such a, a strong racialized history with apartheid and with the constant protests and now trying to integrate, now trying to have equality for for people of color, um, which they would even talk about those terms differently um, in in the scope of South African history and in their politic. But it was a beautiful time. It was an amazing experience, and I just want to talk about some of the things that I learned, bro. Is that okay?
1: Absolutely, yeah, man. I've been bursting to know what your impressions were because you've you've given us little teasers and little hints, little trail of breadcrumbs. But but we got to follow this and see where it leads. So. Yeah, man. Like what was that experience like? So I'ma I'm
2: gonna break it down like this. I'm gonna do five things that I learned or relearned from my time in South Africa. Okay, just five things. So I'm gonna break it down into digestible points. So hopefully I don't ramble too much. Hopefully I don't I don't you know get off the rails. And hopefully it's something that you guys can take and apply to your own lives. So it's not just my personalized experience, but hopefully it'll be of some encouragement to you. All right. So number one, first thing that I learned or relearned from my time in South Africa. And this was a brand new thing for me, but it's that international travel in particular, but all of traveling, traveling isn't about consuming, it's about learning. And so when I sat back and when I heard that I was going to South Africa, it was a sense of accomplishment. And I think people treat it as that. And it really bothered me once I got there to see how I had talked about the trip before I went there. And It was interesting to me because I sat back and I said, how do people in Africa and how do people, particularly in South Africa, feel about the way we talk about them? So as soon as we landed in South Africa, I had this picture in my head of what we were going to experience because it's a beautiful country. There are beaches next to mountains, um, the, the climate, the weather, the sun, everything. I had this perception about what it was going to be. But as soon as we get there, the guy who was picking us up, he takes us past what is known as shanty towns. So he takes mm. us past the poor part of South Africa, the poor part of Cape Town. And so we get there and we land and I'm thinking, man, we about to see all these this scenery. You know how you do, you try to visualize what you're going to look like once you step onto a South African beach or once you climb the mountains and stand at the highest peak and do all Harder, this stuff. Yeah. and. And so I had this idea and had all these pictures. I'm like, oh, so yo, Cape Town is beautiful. South Africa is beautiful. It's beautiful. And then I get there and we pass, we go right past a place of poverty. Mm. We go right past government housing. We go right past shanty towns. We go right past places. And he's talking about, you know, we're asking him questions about the economics. And he's like, well, man, like four families would live in this one bedroom house. And that wasn't my perception of what was going wow. on in Cape Town. That wasn't my perception of what was going on in South Africa. My perception was this is paradise. And it was, it was such a, a moment of conviction for me because a lot of times American travelers, we go overseas and we consume other people's culture to boost our resume. Like huh. it's a sense of accomplishment. So we use them to make us look better. So we use them, we use their culture, we go and and yeah, I mean it's great that we spend our money, yeah, it's great that we interact, it's great that we, you know, visit those those countries. That's not what I'm talking about, but the way in which we present it, we present it not as an opportunity for our paradigms to be shifted, but as an opportunity almost in a capitalistic sense to consume another place so mm-hmm. that we look good. We look like we've made it.
1: It's it's like it's like it's like the 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 Instagram version of Traveling, yes, right? exactly. You, just so you can it, post it,
2: exactly. And there's a sense even within the black community that that's like the next step in black excellence. Like, mm. so you go there and you take all these glamorous photos, and it's like, oh, well, now you're the traveling guy. You've made it, and now you're this. And it's like you you think you've you've reached another echelon of black excellence because you go over and you consume from another country. But are you learning what the country is really about? Are you learning from the people there? Are you sitting at the feet? of the people there and having your paradigm shifted. And so it really challenged me to not think of traveling as just simply consumption as something that I go and do for my sake and then take those pictures back, throw them up there. Like For a while, I didn't post hardly any pictures from uh, South Africa. And then also we stopped in Turkey as well on the way over there because I felt weird about it. I felt weird about voyeuristically like showing the United States, this is what goes on there. And it's like, man, well, if you want to know what goes on there, listen to the people who are there. Don't listen to me because I went over there and you know me. Listen to the people. Hopefully you're tuned into the justice issues that are happening in Cape Town. Hopefully you're listening to the church in Cape Town. Hopefully you're listening to the Christians in Cape Town. And so traveling isn't about learning, man. It's about, it isn't about consuming. It's about learning. And it's about us having our paradigm shifted. So that was just one thing that really challenged me, man, because I, I think I approach travel and especially international travel with this capitalistic lens, man.
1: It's a tough balance, right? Because on, on one hand, you're going and you want to consume in terms of intake, right? There's all this new stuff and, and you're excited about it. So you want to share, but there's a thin line between doing that and and doing it in an exploitative sense, right? Uh, it, right. I think exactly. I think it's fundamentally... Um, Are you, when we travel, are we awed by the beauty and diversity of another culture, which is a celebration of them? Or are we enamored with the fact that we get to travel yes, and we can exactly, tell people about it, which exactly. is fundamentally about us?
2: Right. It's the centering, which we talk about all the time. Like, who are we centering? And so we've talked, you know, in this Christian justice space about decentering whiteness, about decentering white expectations, about dismantling white supremacy. And then we go over and we center ourselves in another culture. And it's just weird to me. And so I sat back and I was like, man, I probably approached this trip. I wasn't mentally and spiritually as prepared as I should be to approach this trip from an appreciation standpoint. But when I got there, okay, let's go to number two, because this is this is something that I learned as soon as I stepped foot there, as soon as I interacted with people, and especially at the Justice Conference, I learned that I have much more to understand about my personal identity than, mm-hmm. than I previously thought. So I get there, and then there are people who are interacting with me differently because I blend in with some of the people in Cape Town. So I looked like I was from Cape Town. A couple of people <laughs> mentioned that. And sort of like right on down to the wave. (laughs) Nah, man. Well, I don't know. I mean, there might be a wave scene in K Town. (laughs) you have got to put me on if it's a wave scene down there. But so I started talking with people, and they were like, "Hey, so, so where you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm from I'm from the U.S." And they were like, "Oh, like we like I blended in." And then as soon as I started talking, they were like, "Oh, you're not from here." And so it was weird to me because I sat back and I said, "Oh, wow, so." They might be treating me in a different way, but once people found out I was from the U.S., um, man, it was a beautiful—it was a beautiful experience of affirmation. I felt more affirmed in the South African context as a Black American man than I have in a long time. Like I feel like even how they interacted with my my blackness, with my Americanness, with my manhood, with my Christian identity how they interacted with it and what they were showing me, it was almost like they were welcoming welcoming me back into a house I didn't know I was a part of. And so wow. they were like opening up the door and saying, hey, this is home for you. And there was a, there was a moment at the end of the justice conference, which was crazy. It kind of drove this point home. And the conference was over and I'll talk about worship here in a second, but they were just going in and they were worshiping and they were you know, screaming and hollering and dancing. And then they started singing the South African National Anthem. Um, And it was crazy how powerful that moment was because they sang it with such a defiance and they sang it with such intensity. And after that, they just start dancing and they just start riffing. Yeah. And the conference is over, right? <laughs> and so I'm talking with some people and they were talking about uh, Justice Conference. They were talking about Pastor Mike, They were talking about Witness stuff. And so we're just sitting around talking. And then one of the ladies... Um, her and her husband are natives there, and then they also do worship there. They do ministry there. She runs down from the stage. Now, this is a whole bunch of people. She runs down from the stage. She grabs and says, you need to come with me. And so I'm thinking like, oh, okay, well, maybe somebody needs to talk to me or whatever. She takes me straight on stage, and then they start dancing. And no. then they're trying to, they're, they start doing American dances.
1: No. So they start doing
2: the Millie Rock, and we start doing the Nene, and all this. And so all these people are like, it's like a celebration of culture but i felt like they were trying to pull me up that to would be like man you can be you here like you can be who you Whoa. are here like there's Whoa. nothing wrong there's nothing evil about who you are like you there's joy here like you can experience this like it's okay like kick your knees up like dance like scream like raise your hands like man. put up your fist it was i That's felt like a- they were they were training me like these women there were like training me on how to how to be fully embodied as a man Like, and it was, it was a crazy experience. Wow.
1: It sounds so liberating. Oh my goodness. I'm just like picturing a scene in my head, wishing that was worship every Sunday at my church. Right. Like, wow.
2: Bro, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's number three. Number three, the thing that I, I learned or relearned in South Africa is that our worship in America, it needs to be decolonized. Like I Mm. can't tell y'all how Mm. much we have colonized worship. And okay. I didn't realize it until I went there. He about I went to there and- Y'all, all right. Listen, listen, listen. I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna pause here because I've look, Look, I'm fired up about this. The American church has taken worship and made it completely westernized, white, European. And we are deriving our worship from like four or five sources. And, and listen, here's the thing. It's it's. I'm not even necessarily speaking about the Reformed Church at this point because I think one of the things that I appreciate about the Reformed Church is the richness of of the hymns and the psalms that are incorporated within the liturgy. Like that's one thing that I appreciate. But one of the difficulties with joining a Reformed church or being in a Reformed spaces is a lot of times that's not really modernized in a way that accommodates for my blackness and accommodates for <laughs> my my cultural expression.
1: You're being very generous. Yeah, yes. <laughs> no,
2: but I just I, I think I think it's a genuine attempt by many, you know, predominantly white reformed churches or even multi-ethnic reformed churches to honor God in the worship experience. So I think it's a genuine attempt to honor God in the worship experience. I think it's a genuine attempt to sit back and make sure that we're using worship in the way that God intended. And I honor that and I appreciate that. But um, it seems to me like, especially the non-reformed American church, has taken worship and they've reduced it down to something instead that's instead of being beautiful, it's comfortable. And wow. what we are comfortable with is we're comfortable with. And I'm a, I'm gonna shout out my friend Pastor Sandra Van Opstel, who talked about this on the stage at the Justice Conference. She's in Chicago and she's brilliant. And she talked about how. You know we don't need the people across the world to sound like white Australians you know like we don't need everyone to reduce their voice down to the CCM version of what worship is like we don't need that like we don't need to to go overseas and hear people sing like you know those famous CCM bands that everyone is using that everyone's everyone's talking about that everyone's kind of waiting for them to put out new albums and new songs. And and it was crazy because I talked with one of the guys afterwards and he was like, man, we made the decision early on to only sing songs that were written by people from Africa. So we made the decision to how are we going to decolonize worship? Well, what we're going to do is we're not going to sing any songs from, from someone who's European or who's not from the continent. So as soon as you started, there was like this, it was, it was chants, it was screaming, it was expression, and it was genuine, it was beautiful, it was freeing, it was lament, it was joy. And the the lady who was leading worship, her husband is one of the pastors over there, and she at the beginning of the conference, she was like, listen, this is a place we're free here. Okay. I just want to let y'all know we're free here. And so if you if you're gonna two-step, like you're not gonna make it. Like, you're not going to make it here if huh. you're just going to two-step. And she was talking to people who live in South Africa. Like, she was talking to people who are from there. She was like, no, no, no. Like, you can't just two-step here. Like, your whole body has to get involved with this. Ooh, and so
1: when like you're singing that. songs and Whoa.
2: listen, saying it, like verbally saying, like, you can't just do that. You can't just, you can't have a safe worship experience. And what would what would the American church look like if we refuse to allow worship to be safe and comfortable every Sunday? If we what refuse about, to allow worship to just sit, to be something where you can just sit pensively and not involve your body, not involve your soul, not not strain your voice because you're you're almost, you're screaming at one point. Like, what would that look like for the American church?
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit.
1: Do you do you think that is true of predominantly black church traditions as well in America?
2: Listen, okay. <laughs> You really want me to do this? Ah, man. Okay, so here's what I think. I think that there is now a greater push than before for upwardly mobile, middle-class black churches to utilize more colonized worship out of fear that they're going to lose younger people who don't want their worship to truly be decolonized. So let me put it like this. okay. There is a sense, and I've thought deep and long and hard about this, because this was me a few years ago. I was like, man, we need to use these modern songs. We need to use this. We need to use that. And we can incorporate the old stuff, but let's use the modern. Let's keep the young people's attention. This is what they listen to. And what we're afraid of is we're afraid of losing the next generation. And we think that we're going to lose the next generation because of our worship is is too traditional. So we think young people don't want to shout. They don't want to dance. They don't want to clap their hands the way that we clapped our hands. They more so want a cerebral cerebral dignified experience when they go into worship. And I realized that we're actually swinging the pendulum too far um, in the opposite direction, that really what we need to press into is what does decolonized worship look like, even for the black church? What does decolonized worship look like to where we don't feel like we have to sing certain songs to keep our young people, but rather we can press into an African tradition of dialing them into who they truly are and who God has created them to be in fully embodied, expressive, almost defiant worship. And what I saw was it seems like worship in the Black church in particular, it feels generationally divided. Instead of us banding together and saying, "How can we press into decolonizing everything about our worship, even some of the even some of the black songs we sing?" I'm just like, "Man, this is actually problematic." If you sit down and really think about why we're singing what we're singing, we just imbibe these things from certain gospel music artists because we think, oh, "Okay, well, because they sang it, it's good," but it's not theologically accurate. There's like some some shoddiness about whether or not it's manipulative emotionally. It communicates some things that to be honest with you, may not even even be true or wise to communicate to people. And so even that, we have to have a generational critique on both sides that says, young people, you need to fully embody your worship. And to older generations, you need to press into critiquing and interrogating the worship that we currently have and saying, what's a better alternative? And I think it might be singing songs in Zulu. It might be wow. singing songs in Afrikaans. It yes. might be singing songs in in foreign languages. It might be us stepping back and saying, How can we learn from the church that it's a mutuality? How can we not transport what we do and import what we do to them as though it's superior? But how can we interrogate and say, These songs that you're singing, this utando that you're singing, like all, all these all these songs about the Holy Spirit, all these songs about God, all these songs about justice? We need to incorporate that in what we do. There was a moment um near the end again. I think it was like the last session, where they were singing a song and normally they had the English translation, you know, because most people there, if not all, speak English. Mm-hmm. And so they had, you know, they're they're typically bilingual, trilingual, it seems like, um, either speaking English and Zulu or English and Afrikaans. And so they had, you know, whatever it may be, the Afrikaans translation of the of the word, then they would have the English translation like under that. And so there was a time where they were singing a song. A young lady got on the stage. She started singing a song, and I didn't necessarily even know what the song was saying. But people were going nuts, mm. like crazy, like they were just like dancing and screaming and like. And I was just kind of sitting back. I was like, "Yo, this is dope." But like, what does this mean? Like, what is this? And so I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, this song clearly this means a lot to them." Um, I thought it was general worship at first, and then when I asked somebody about it, they were like, "Oh." Those those are actually protest songs. What? Those are protest songs that they're singing. And one of the young ladies cried, she had tears in her eyes. And she was one of the MCs of the Justice Conference. And she said, This was the first time I got kicked out of my church for being a part of a protest. Like I got kicked out of my predominantly African church for being a part of a protest because they said I didn't care about the gospel anymore, which we'll touch mm. on that in a minute. And she said this was the first time I felt free in a worship setting to sing those same songs. And it's the first time I felt like this is this is who I truly am and God isn't offended by my protest. That God doesn't hate the fact that I'm protesting for justice. And so I sat back and I'm like, man, we would never we would never sing some of these songs in our worship. Like we would be so afraid. We be so, man, we're tame, bro. Like we're tame. Like the American church and even a lot of black church, you know, I'm a huge black church guy. A lot of black churches, we're tame. Like Hmm. we we think we're radical in comparison to our white counterparts, but that's part of colonization is constantly comparing our level of maturity and our level of expression on a continuum with whiteness. Oh, we're doing better than them as though that means we're faithful. No, it doesn't.
1: Right. It just means wow. we're doing
2: quote unquote better than them in our perception. And it, that doesn't mean we're faithful. We're tame, bro. Like we are, we are tame and we are frankly scared. That's what I saw. I saw that worship and I said, I'm scared of incorporating that in my church, but I should.
1: We have so much to learn from the church that's actually living on the edge. Like I, I don't know that this was the, the particular uh, congregation's uh, situation where you were in, but so many churches and countries in Africa, in South and Central America, in in Asia and Southeast Asia, they are living on the edge, and literally have their lives and their livelihoods on the line simply for being Christian, and I wonder how much of the gospel we're missing or we've misunderstood because we have it so good here in the United States, in a way, uh, where where yep. we do face dangers, unfortunately. Increasingly, um, uh, people are targeting churches and, and uh, gatherings of faith for mass shootings. That's there, that's real. But we have much more freedom to practice religion than in, in many other places. And yes when we when we forget that when we forget what it's like to truly be persecuted like a, at a life or death level then i think you're right i think we're not as daring i think we're not as yeah. bold i don't i think we're i think we're much more um concerned about comfort than we are about fighting for the faith and so yes
2: that's that's what i'm saying is like i think it's more so the american dream has desensitized us the american dream right. has numbed us And we've said this before, but it's so dangerous even within the black community, even within black churches, to lose the radical implications of the gospel. I know Mm -hmm. we run from radicality. We're like, we're not radical. We're not militant. No, maybe we should be. Maybe we should reclaim what that word actually means for a believer, for a follower of Jesus. Maybe we should reclaim what that means, like radically standing up to the fact that people in our neighborhoods, five to 10 minutes away from where we comfortably sit with our garages down. Mm. They don't have food. They don't have healthcare. Like their, their kids are getting substandard education. Mm. Like they're in food deserts and we're just going and we're clapping and we're taking a nice little offering. And then we're like, well, you know, around Thanksgiving, we'll give them a, a basket. Wow. That's not the, that's not, that's not the gospel, bro. Like the gospel isn't, you do a, an act of charity a year and you pat yourself on the back. Like that's not the gospel. The gospel is incarnational. Like why are we incarnational? Like why are we not touching in? Why are we not learning from our brothers and sisters around the world who are pressing into these realities of poverty, of 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 dealing with people who have shame, of dealing with people who have been attacked, of dealing with people who are unsafe, dealing with people who. Who who don't know where their next meal is going to come from? Like that's what I mean. Is we just we've allowed America to inject us with just enough poison to numb us.
0: Mm. It's
2: gonna numb us, but it'll only kill us slowly. Anyway, you you gotta give me a stop
1: talking about this. Oh, I need to move on. Man, I'm just gonna keep.
2: We're <laughs> just gonna keep going on that. I'm just gonna look. I, I we only on number three. We so we, I got we two do more.
1: need a whole episode because we've talked a little bit about this before in terms of what we do with our finances, right? Like both personally and related to what you're talking about as a church. And I think of the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation and how many, you know, what would Christ write to the churches of America? And there are many things (laughs) Christ can indict us on, but I think right at the top of the list is going to be you had all this money. Hmm. What did you do?
2: Hmm.
1: Right, like, like, and not look. You can look at statistics. Christians are amazingly generous people. Um yes. but there are ways to use our resources, both individually and corporately, that can actually help eliminate the causes of poverty. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Not to mention bringing relief to people who are suffering from an acute form of poverty, whether homelessness or uh, joblessness, or they don't have food. Of course, that's part of it as well. But but everything you're reminding me, uh, everything you're talking about in your visit, it it gets back to justice in general, right? Yes. And yes. a big part of justice is how we use our material resources. Yes. And then I'll just say this one thing. I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking that justice requires two things at least. It re- justice requires prophetic distance and priestly proximity.
2: Boy, what? How you just going to drop that? Hold on. Hold on. Nah. You How you just going to drop that? Yo, I've never. What are you talking about? Like you
1: didn't even you didn't even prep me for that. It's it's it's, it's, it's all wrapped up in these conversations. Justice requires prophetic distance so you right. can speak truth to power. Uh, this is the journey of the witness, right? We are almost intentionally small. We ain't got no money. We ain't got a building. We don't have a headquarters or resources. Say the money thing again
2: so people will give. <laughs>
1: okay. We ain't got so, no
2: for us, not for our pockets, but so we can continue this work. Okay, yeah, for real. We, got we, no we money. are
1: not getting paid. We do not get no, paid. No, we for are this not. Can you
2: say that again? Separate... <laughs> Please.
1: I don't know. I don't know if we've ever even like explored this really on the mic, but like this is a hundred percent volunteer from top to bottom. Every one of our team members um is is a volunteer like they they do it except we did we did start paying two team members because they're absolutely essential but um that's it and and you know when the money runs out it's out uh but we do that on purpose why to have a prophetic distance so that we can speak truth mm-hmm. to power because most of the time when you get money there are strings attached and when you talk about yes. the things that we talk about race and justice and when we critique and 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 level um you know uh you know explanations and and try to speak truth about these things man there's a lot of pushback and it's very easy mm-hmm. to upset donors um and so we yeah. just don't get a lot of money but shout out to all the people who have just like on their own contributed. I mean, we very yes. seldom ask, you know, do a big campaign or whatever, but uh, you know, thankfully God has always provided enough for us to, to do it, but we ain't got no budget. So that's one thing, but that helps us have that prophetic distance so that we can say what we need to say and not worry. Oh no. Are the alumni or the trustees or, or the boss, are, are they going to, you know, have some sort of consequence? Are they going to take the money away? Are they going to fire us? Are they going to do X, Y, Z? So prophetic distance, but, and this is the new part I've been thinking about, justice also requires a priestly proximity. And yeah. I get a lot of this from Latin American liberation theologians. So the way Latin American liberation theology developed is very interesting because in a way, it's a professional um, theology that comes from the academy in the sense that, that, that it was priests who were developing this theology. And so priests... Yes, are, are highly trained. They're part of the establishment. They're part of the the larger Catholic Church, and yet in their parishes, they were assigned to minister to the poorest of the poor, these people who were absolutely destitute. Uh, nine times out of ten because of circumstances far beyond their control. There were wars, and there were coups, and there were despots in charge uh, who just fleeced, fleeced the entire population. And so these priests are in proximity to the poor, and they're like, wait a minute, what does our gospel have to say to these life-or-death conditions, to people being kidnapped, to people being beheaded and raped and and food being taken From their children's Mm. mouths. Like Christianity has to speak to this somehow, and it has to speak to it in more than just a get yourself, uh, get out of hell free card, right? And so they started to develop a theology that spoke to that, but it came because they were close, because they had proximity to the poor and to the marginalized. And I think in a similar way, Uh, we have to maintain a priestly proximity so that we can weep when others weep, we can rejoice when they rejoice, we can know what's afflicting them, and we can be allies alongside them in fighting for justice. But if we get too far from the people who are most marginalized, most oppressed, then we get enamored with our own comfort. Hmm. And it becomes easy to write the check once a year, which is not bad, keep doing that. But the rest not the, to the radicalness the issues, not to address the yes. systems we we lose the radicalness and the edginess of the gospel because we don't we don't think about the people involved because we're not we don't have proximity to those people hmm.
2: bruh you just did a whole separate podcast within a podcast
1: i know i'm sorry y'all we going all over the place but this is what happens you when you go to, to the mother that. city of the motherland. look No, this is
2: good. This is good. This is good. Like this, this is giving me so many ideas and so many other podcasts and so much other material will be spawned from this. Um, Two more and then we'll we'll get out of here. But the fourth one is connected to what you were just saying. And it's that global communities have some of the same justice issues that we do. And so Hmm. it seems that we enter into conversations forgetting that basic human justice concerns that we have in America, that we have in the West are very similar to the concerns that exist in other countries. And so there is some some unique um, twisting of those issues because of the reality of something like apartheid, which hasn't been that long ago for them. And so many of them can remember that. Many of them can experience that. Many of them know that. Um, Some of the unique racialized dynamics and ethnic dynamics that are totally different in South Africa than they would be here but at the root at the core a lot of this is the same and one of the things that was shocking to me is that people were talking about how man, in in South African Christianity Cape Town and you know wherever they're from in that country that churches are not really on the justice conversation that many churches push away from it wow and i'm like oh so you mean like in america they're like yeah so this
1: <laughs> sounds was, familiar this,
2: this was the crazy thing so i meet all these people and i'm getting ready to talk about them but i meet all these people and they're talking about how Pastor Mike has encouraged them. And I'm like, how has Pastor Mike encouraged you? We've only been a year change from Rand to the Witness. How has Pastor Mike encouraged you? How has Pastor Mike uplifted you? How can you take anything that we're saying, an Americanized concept, and transfer that over into your context? And and they said, because it's the reality that many of the churches push back when we bring up justice. Many of the churches don't want to talk about it. Many of the churches are ignoring are ignoring um, a protest. You know, One of the protests they had recently, I think it was in 2015, is a protest called Fees Must Fall. And I encourage you to look that up so that you're tuned in with what's going on in Cape Town. Um, but Fees Must Fall was a protest that many of the young people participated in or were passionate about, and that churches kicked them out for, or churches pushed away from them for. Churches said, you can't talk about that. It's only the gospel. And I'm sitting back, I'm like, man, so you guys are going through the exact same thing we are. They're like, yes, that's why w- your journey has influenced and encouraged us. Mm-hmm. Your journey has encouraged us to make certain decisions and that's do certain things opinion. that we wouldn't have right. done. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, I just, I would never think you would be able to take anything that we say or do and transfer that into a South African context. they're like, we have. And it's encouraged us and uplifted us. And so that leads me into my number five. And I'm gonna go ahead and rush through it um, because I wanna have appropriate time to shout out all these wonderful people that I met. And number five is that the kingdom of God is bigger than we think it is. And I had the opportunity on my last day there to get invited to a house where there were a group of people who apparently just wanted to have lunch. And so there's this guy named John, and shout out to John. Shout out to Isifambano. Fambano. Shout out to David. Shout out to Yula Mensa. I'm going to talk about what all those you know things mean in a second. But John reached out. He said, hey, I'm with the Justice Conference. And I just want to let you know there's a group of us in Cape Town and in South Africa who have just been encouraged by what you guys are doing over at The Witness. And man, we we've taken some of these things and we've started our own ministry over here in South Africa. And I'm like, what? Like for real? He's like, look, do you have some time to talk about it anytime during the weekend? And so I found a time just before I would, would have to catch a plane um, out of, out of there on on the Sunday afternoon for lunch. And, and so he's like, yeah, come over. And so I'm thinking like, oh, okay, it'll be like a few people. He had mentioned like a number. I was like, okay, it's not like that many people who listen to pass a mic. So whatever. <laughs> so I get there and then I'm actually at a dinner with a young lady and a group of people, it's like seven or eight of us. And a young lady is sitting like right across from me, and she sees my shirt, which said Pastor Mike. She's like, wait a minute. You're not the host of Pastor Mike, are you? And I was like, wait, what do you know about Pastor Mike? And so she was like, Oh, I love that podcast. Like, it's great. And I'm like, huh? And so everybody was kind of looking around. They're like, yo, for real? And I was like, yo, I don't know. And so (laughs) I run into some people on the first day of the conference. And they're like, yo, Pastor Mike has just been such an encouragement. I'm like, huh? Like, how? When? Where?
1: International. Whoa.
2: I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we start our own podcast based upon it. And we're trying to do some of the similar things (laughs) here in South Africa. And I'm just like, bro, what? Like, what are y'all talking about right now? They're like, man, we just love the podcast. I'm like, huh? And so anyway, so I'm thinking like, man, I meet like 10, 12 people. And they're saying the same thing that John was saying. And so I get to this lunch with this group of amazing Christian women and men. And it's like 25 people in there, all who are like, man, we just want to, we just want to talk with you. We just want to hear what's going on in your world. And we just wanna we just want to tell you what's happening right now here in Cape Town. We just want to tell you about our situation, going to Christian education, going to a colonized. Christian school and trying to decolonize from the inside out. Some of us have left. Some of us have bounced. Others of us are trying to work on the inside um, and and reform the system. And some of us have left the reform label and others of us want to keep the reform label. And some of us have left evangelicalism and others of us, we don't know (laughs) what to do with another word other than evangelicals. And we're wrestling with all this together and we're laughing and we're praying for each other. And it was um, it was transformative. It was transformative. There was something about it that that literally felt like it, it felt like I had met people who were family that I just didn't know existed. Yes. Like truly family, not like friends, not acquaintances. I'm like, I could live here. Yeah. Like I could live here and I know I would have people here. I know I would have family here. I know I would have brothers and sisters here. I know I would have the body of Christ present. And they started this organization, John and, and David and a few other people. They're the hosts of a, of a podcast called Eula Mensa. And I'll leave a link to it down in the description of the podcast. But Eula Mensa is, is trying to address a lot of these issues you know whether it relates to justice and and racial issues and and matters from a South African context, and the organization that they started is called Isifambano, which uh, means cross, I believe, in Zulu.
1: That's a beautiful. Correct me if word. I'm wrong. Yeah.
2: Yes, it is. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. So send it out to me and be like, no, it doesn't mean that, but I'm pretty sure it means cross <laughs> in in uh in Zulu. And so it's the E.C. Fambano Center for Biblical Justice. And so they're developing curriculum and doing cohorts and writing blogs and doing events, all to promote this concept of holistic Christian living. They're preaching the gospel, but they're preaching a holistic gospel. And so I have to shout out the wonderful people who I met. I mean, it was so many people. If I start naming all of you, like I'm just going to forget some, but you know who you are. I, I had an amazing time. You challenged me, you uplifted me. And some of them were like, man, whenever you just shout out South Africa, whenever you mention South Africa, we just like go crazy because it's like, man, they actually know us. They know what's going on in. And and I had to admit to them, I was like, we didn't know, but now we do. And so this is a Mm -hmm. real shout out to South Africa, a real shout out to Cape Town. Thank you so much for treating me as a Black man, like a brother, as a Black American man, as though my life mattered. Mm. And uh, that's something that I can't count on all the time in the States, but you treated you treated me like I had value. And you treated me beyond my work at The Witness or with Pastor Mike or with the Justice Conference, um, like I was created in the image of God. So, so thank you.
1: Man, that's beautiful, brother. It's amazing how we often think of the church as our local congregation or a building but the church is the people of god and so we can find home and we can find family anywhere other image bearers are worshiping jesus christ and i'm just so glad you had that experience of, of being humanized we talk so much about being dehumanized because of racism here in america and that sounds like an experience that 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 rehumanized you not that you ever lost your intrinsic value or anything but you needed to be reminded of it and the way they treated you was was like a human being like someone made in the image and likeness of our creator so that's a beautiful thing and i'm just gonna say it right now i look forward to visiting as well we're gonna have a pass the mic live there one day good lord willing because uh, it sounds like an amazing place with amazing people so so thank you for sharing that
2: we got to man i'm forever grateful